Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Anne-Marie Lockhart. You're listening to Vox Poetica's 15 Minutes of Poetry. I have with me today Brian Finelli, whose book, All That Remains, has just been released via Unbound Content, and it's a wonderful collection. Brian, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, especially this close to Christmas. It's a little hectic, as we were just discussing, um, but I think these important... It's important to have this, you know, uh, time to focus on things like poetry that make your day a little bit more uh, interesting and and should be part of all of our days. Um, You know, you must be feeling a little relieved to be on break right now, huh? (laughs) I am, yeah. I'm done teaching for the fall semester, and, you know, we have a few weeks off, and I've actually been getting a lot of my own writing done. Um, Excellent. it It was a hectic, hectic fall semester, but it's nice to return to the page and also read what I want to read for a little while, too. Yeah, no external pressures on that time, which is beautiful. Um, we had a, discussed some things you're going to read for our listeners today, so let's start with that first poem. Okay, I'm going to read Sunday Dinners. Sunday Dinners. I woke up on Sundays in a slow yawn, grumbled about the banging of pots and pans, the loud creak of cupboard doors as Father prepared his homemade pasta sauce. I drifted downstairs, watched him stir the sauce slow and steady, with the same wooden spoon, same white apron splashed red. I never thanked him for waking up early every Sunday, for rolling meatballs in his big palms, for nursing my groaning stomach. No sauce tastes the same now, no matter how many times we read his recipe, and Sundays no longer mean family dinners with all children grown, our father long gone. It's a really um, beautiful poem. It's a touching tribute, but it's also a very visceral poem, and you can feel that experience. You know, as you read it, you can, you know, you can imagine being that kid who's hearing his father downstairs who can smell the food cooking and understands the tactile part of what happened there. Um, when did you write that poem? You know, that was actually, I think, one of the earliest poems that I wrote for this book of poems, certainly well before I sent you the manuscript and before mm-hmm. it was accepted. Um, you know, my father passed away when I was pretty young. I was 20, only a junior in high school, and um, mm. I thought I was done done writing about that subject for a while, but I found myself returning to it. So um, that poem is one of the older poems in the collection. It's a few years old, but, you know, I put that poem in here and a few other poems about my father, and I think that they work, you know, they work pretty well among the rest of the poems. I think they work great with the rest of the poems, and I think they set they set um, a bit of the tone for the book itself, for the the human side of the book. It's a book about connections, you know, and that that really does come through in in poems about your father, but in all of them, it's it's a theme that really ties the work together. Um, 
And it brings me to my next question, which is, so where do you find your poetry? Well, I mean, I, I read as much as possible, as you well know, because you run uh, the online magazine Vox Poetic and you do so much with Unbound content. I think it's really key for a writer to read as much as possible. So with my father poems, especially that one, I went to a lot of other poets and how they wrote about parent-son or parent-daughter relationships. You know, if you read those Winter Sundays by Robert Hayden, you'll see that echoed a little bit in my poem or those or my Papa's mm. Waltz by Theodore Retzky. Um, but then even some more modern poets, Natasha Trethewey, our current U.S. Poet Laureate, a lot of her work deals with her relationships with her mom and mm -hmm. also dealing with her family history. So I just like to look at, you know, how other poets address a subject you know, maybe how you could have a conversation with their work or challenge their work. Sometimes you could even adapt their forms or break their forms. Mm -hmm. So I think, at least for me to stay inspired, I just have to be reading as much as possible and reading as many different poets from as many different eras as possible. And I feel like when I'm not reading, I'm, I'm definitely not able to write. You know, for instance, when teaching consumes more than, more than um you know, my, my reading periods, then I find my writing suffering. But I like teaching, too. Now, when you're teaching, um, I can imagine it's a kind of a dynamic experience for a writer to be in the classroom working with students who are also writing in that moment, if not necessarily for their goal. Um, how do you, how do you, two, quest, two parts to this here, how do you use your experience as a writer in the classroom to work with your students, and how does what you gain from that experience come back into your writing? That's a good, that's a good two-parter. Um, well, I think first of all, as you know, I'm very involved with the local literary community in the Scranton, you know, Northeast Pennsylvania area. So I run a reading series here. I do a lot of local readings. I bring in friends from out of town to do readings. And I really encourage my students to attend these readings. I've also featured them at different readings. Mm. So I think that literature and writing, poetry especially, is about community, building a bigger community. So I really love to bring them into that kind of scene and community that extends beyond just the campus of Lackawanna College or Keystone College where I taught before I took the job last year at Lackawanna. Um, I just really like bringing them into that. and. You know, like you, you know, you're also a writer. We know the mistakes that we make. We mm -hmm. know what our own writing process is like. And right even on the first day or the first week of class, I talk about my own writing process, some different things that work for me. I ask them about their own writing process, especially in some of those basic classes like composition or literature, intro to creative writing, where maybe they're not writers, but we could talk about the process a little bit, and, um, and I could give them some tips, I think. And then to answer the second part, in terms of what I get out, what I get out of it, I, I just, you know, I always feel an energy from being in the classroom. I really love it, and you know, I get to talk about literature and writing all day, essentially. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how could I not like that? And it makes me want to go home and write a lot of times. And sometimes, you know, I'll teach something in the classroom and realize, well. Now, I'm not I'm not quite following that in my own writing, so it also helps me with my own revision process, I think, too. 
uh, uh, you know, re reorienting back toward the the technical craft side of the work, possibly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, writing, no matter the level, again, if it's a basic composition class, you know, college writing 101, or mm -hmm. if it's a 300 level creative writing class, it always goes back to the technical craft of it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I, I I got an MFA in writing, so you know, I had to do a lot with craft in that regard. I'm always conscious of that. And and I hope in the end that they become better writers. And I've definitely found that maybe they just didn't like poetry and they thought they could never understand it. But then I think a lot of times by the end of that semester or year, depending on how long they have before, they, they hopefully have a greater appreciation for it. I've seen that happen too, and that's that's just an amazing thing. Would you um, read us another one of the poems from your book? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to read the poem Evacuation, which comes around the middle of the book. Um, and I want to give this poem a little bit of context before I, I read it. You know this story, but I'll, I'll share it with those listening. Um, so right now I live in the Kingston area, which in 1972 was flooded really bad by Hurricane Agnes as was other parts of New Jersey, New York, PA. Um, and so in 2011, we got major rainfall, and we didn't know if, if the levee system was going to hold, so this was about living through that. Mm -hmm. Evacuation. The governor and mayor, men's safe in mansions, pushed the evacuation notice to noon, while my car inched towards home, closer to National Guard tanks and flood zones, where vans and pickups cut across side streets, Load it with as much as a family could save, stuffed within four doors, the rest roof strapped. I pounded the wheel, cursed my decision to work that morning, thinking the rain would ease, until I saw I-81 resemble a doomsday movie, rivers of cars honking horns while the Susquehanna swelled. Once home, I hugged you hard, and like thieves, we ransacked our apartment, pouring books, clothes, jewelry into boxes, then raised furniture on milk crates while we whispered, the levees will hold, the levees will hold. We shut all doors, locked windows, feared returning to warped floors, mud-caked walls. We fled with what we could, whispered again, the levees will hold. For four days, we watched constant coverage, homes swept from streets in Tunkhannock, pushed downstream, smashed into bridges, cars swallowed, towns without levees devoured. Near our home, the river heaved against the dike, fizzling and bubbling against white barriers like soda leaking through a punctured can. When we heard the order to return home, the sun poked through clouds, first time in days. This time, no tombstones or caskets floated down the road from the 44th Cemetery like in 72. This time, our town streets stayed dry, homes as they had been left. Months later, we biked along the dike, gazed at chairs and clothes floating downstream, a mudslime's refrigerator caught in a tree, others' misfortunes swallowed and spit out at the river's edge. You know, I think um, more and more people are becoming familiar <laughs> with that, the experience that you're um, recounting in that poem, what with Sandy and other storms that this nation Yeah, you know what, Absolutely, and I just thought about that as soon as you started saying that. I mean, it's, you know that well, being from New Jersey, but it just seems like these 
you know, the, these weather patterns are more and more yeah. frequent and common because of because of climate change. I'm actually working on a series of poems. I don't know what I'll do with them, but a series of poems in reaction to Sandy and, and you know, mm. the flooding of the mm-hmm. and all these other things, even going back to Agnes. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I wrote a few, and I don't know what I'll do with them, but we'll definitely see. We, you know, one of the things I think that really um, works in your poetry is that there's a universality of experience that you convey. And it's like we just heard in this poem that you just read. And in a lot of the um, poems that have to do with working class relationships, um, mm-hmm. be they romantic or friendships or familial, all of that terrain, uh, it really every every character, including even your students, sometimes appear in your poems. You know, they they're they're asking you questions, they're referring to you, you're engaged with them. There's um, a very real sense of character in your stories that that are shaped by what it's a very genuine feeling. And I, I'm curious about um, how conscious that decision is on your part. Is there a decision consciously to represent? certain people in your work? Well, um, I, I think so. I mean, I think we're usually conscious of what we write or the forms that we take. Um, you know, anybody that reads the book or any of my work will see pretty clearly that I'm a narrative poet. Um, mm-hmm. I like story. I like character, but I still like using compressed language, playing, paying attention to the line, you know, grounding it in figurative, imaginative language. Um, but a lot of a lot of my favorite poets, um, you know, William Carlos Williams wrote a lot about the working class in his, in his hometown of Rutherford, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I also like Philip Levine a lot, Jim Daniels, even Pablo Neruda, all of them who wrote sort of very character-based poems to some extent. So those are the the type of poets that I grew up reading. Um, even Elizabeth Bishop, you know, some of her longer narrative poems about New England and the characters. So those those are the people that I grew up reading, and it certainly made an impression on me. Um, and I started mm-hmm. out as early as I wrote poetry writing fiction, you know, writing short stories. So I think some of that definitely uh, came came over into my poetry. You know, I'm... What, I'm, what I've been thinking about in reference to your work specifically is, you know, you're, you're describing different communities of people, but there's a commonality in those communities. And I think that's one of the things. When you capture your own community really well, it, it takes on dimensions of familiarity for people in other communities too. It makes us able to step outside of our own and be part of something else without as much of a leap because it's, the familiarity is there. Um, your your writing is personal, so what do you what do you use as your barometer to to filter through what should be in it and what might maybe should be better left out of it? Well, I think I think some of the raunchy stuff, um, you know, you have to step back. In fact, as you know, there was a few poems I had in here that I pulled out at the last minute because yeah. um, <laughs> I thought I thought this is this is a little bit too much, and they those poems were not really confessional at all. Um, no. So you know those those listening will just have to wonder what they were about. But um, <laughs> um, you know, I thought about you know a lot of people are going to read this, right? And I'm like, I don't think that I want these in here anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I think sometimes that you definitely you have to exercise some 
some restraint and there's there's just there's just some things that I would not be comfortable that maybe I write in private as we all do right but then when I get up there on a stage and I give a reading or you put a book out I think you have to think about a larger audience and frankly what are you comfortable sharing because even mm-hmm. if the work is not confessional I think we always no matter what we read even fiction or poetry we ask ourselves well you know is, is there a kernel of truth mm-hmm, in that mm-hmm. story or that poem, whatever it might be. So I think it's important to think of um, your audience and what you are comfortable putting out there to to the world, essentially, right? I mean, you, you have to think about that for sure. And and when you think about it, do you, does it become almost a gut decision? You know, like it just doesn't feel right? Or do you go through a more analytical process with that? I, I think sometimes it it absolutely... It certainly feels right. Um, you know, yeah. you realize this, this is not this is not to send out to a literary magazine or a journal or to publish <laughs> in a manuscript. Or, you know, this this is just for me, and uh, and that's fine, right? Sometimes we have to get that stuff out. But then I think sometimes yeah. the poems, as you probably know, they have to sit a while. Like those few poems mm-hmm. that I had in the book that I I thought at first were okay, and I think that they did fit with the rest of the poems. But then I really thought about it. And I thought, no, I'm, I just, I don't want these in here. They're a little bit, they're just a little bit too much. So I took them out, you know, only a few weeks before the book came out, I think. Right. And I, I would have, I think they're, um, they worked with the rest of the manuscript and they work without it too. So I think it, and it doesn't really become two entirely different stories with or without. It just changes the tenor of it a little bit, you know, by either including them or excluding them. I think that there's a nuance to it and, um, when you're putting a book together, sometimes you have to pay more attention to those minor things. Um, you don't think about that at first, but at the end of the day, when you're looking at it, 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 it those are some of the most important elements to the, the idea of a collection. The, those nuances add layers that you either want to be in there or do not <laughs> want to be in there, you know, depending on yeah, the book Yeah, absolutely. Itself. And um, I've, I've read a lot of the books that Unbound Content has, has uh, put out. I'm actually reviewing... Um, um, Riceland right now, actually, one of your newest releases. And I've always been impressed how what you choose to publish, you know, the manuscripts, all the poems do work together and they speak to each other. And I think that is so important. You know, it always kind of makes me squirm a little bit where I hear poet friends talk about how they're just kind of randomly putting a book together, right, when I think Mm -hmm. it should be about how the conversations speak and not so much, well, I just want to get these published as a book, but really taking your time to think about how the poems cohere and blend and speak to each other and challenge each other and maybe even have some sort of arc to them, be it the form or reoccurring image or theme or character, whatever it might be. Um, you know, and Robert Frost said that the book itself should, should act as the final poem and you should mm. kind of treat it that way. Um, so that's, that's you know, my I, view anyway. Some people might disagree I, with that. I don't know. I want to thank you for being a careful reader and for also, you know, being a, um, you know, definitely a very active and vital part of the Unbound Content Fox Politica family because your your insights there are significant. And, you know, I think Riceland, Riceland and all that remains, to me, those books are actually very connected to one another in the stories and in the um, some of the, there are qualities of the narrator voice in those works that are similar. 
but they're not telling the same story. They're telling two different stories, but there are, there's a lot of um, interesting overlap or viewpoint that's coming coming to a, a place in the middle of these two different experiences, one being very rural, one being uh, entirely different place and um, feel, but at the same time, there's just a lot in those two stories that knits together very, very well. And I like... I, for me, it was a huge luxury to be able to work on both of those collections at the same time, um, it, because it just, it just, you know, as much as I liked them both separately, it was something about working on them together and bringing them out at a similar time. It just felt right, like these were just part of the two voices in a chorus that merge really nicely. And um, I want to thank you and C.L. Bledsoe for for providing the work that made that experience for me as an editor and a publisher and a reader so important and so vital and so, you know, it's great. It just was really great. Um, and I think a lot well, of people well, who read both of those will feel that way, you know, because it just, they, they're dynamic. They mix nicely together. Well, thank you. People should order them for Christmas and, uh, and put, them in the, put them in the Christmas <laughs> stockings. But yeah, Riceland, I mean, I, I saw it actually on the, on the review list for Pank and I write book reviews for them and I, picked it up immediately and and you know I've honestly been really floored by it um it, it's actually and I really mean this probably one of my favorite poetry books of 2013 and again mm. because you know some of the style certainly mirrors mine I mean you have the hard-working father in it you have this you know this this rural farm industry in it you have the character driven poems but they're just really really beautiful poems that work together and tell a story and I think more importantly, tell a story that, you know, we don't talk about much in America, mm-hmm. right? The loss of the small family farm. We always talk about places right. like Patterson and Scranton and Detroit, you know, these old industrial towns that have been hit even harder by the recession. But we don't, we don't talk right. about the farmland anymore. And I'm glad that he's bringing attention to that through his book. And they're just, you know, like you said earlier, that, you know, you have to make sure that you're, you're writing about something specific and local, but you make it universal, and I think he totally does that. And, you know, Bledsoe does that at Riceland, and it, it works really wonderfully. It's it's true. I think um, what you say there is absolutely on target. And, I, and I, it is great to hear the voices that we don't always hear. You know, we hear a lot of stuff about a lot of things, but, um, you know, the news media doesn't do a good job of bringing anybody to life. And so one of the things that's great in reading your book, in reading Court's book, in reading, you know, I think pretty much any 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 well-done book of poems, you're getting a specific voice. Somebody is being fleshed out. And that's just in our very virtual world, a uh, rarity of experience. To be able to really encounter somebody in dimensions of who they are um, is just a, it's a, it's a it's a gift. It's just a gift. Um, you have another poem that you would like to read, and I would like to. I usually close with the poem, but I want to ask you. I'm going to want to ask you a few questions about this poem after you read it. So sure. let's read it now, and then we'll talk a little bit before we end. All right. This is one of the last poems in the book. It's called After School Drives. Father's gray Ford sat curbside after school. Elvis CDs turned low because he knew I disliked the king, preferred Johnny Cash. We sometimes played, dropping his voice low to mimic the man in black, steady like a freight train vocals. If he sang loudly, windows rolled down on a spring day. I slouched in the seat, 
worried someone may have seen me sitting shotgun with the out-of-tune driver. When he didn't sing, he asked me about girls, guitar lessons, baseball tryouts. I gave curt responses, half-sentence replies like any teen concerned with being cool. Even though Father picked me up daily, saved me from the crowded bus, two-hour countryside drives made longer in winter. Years later, after Father passed, I missed those after-school drives, the chance to fill silence with conversation, even those moments he crooned so off-key, even I had a laugh. <laughs> Again, you know, it's just, it really comes to life. The poem just completely comes to life and takes the reader into its space. It's just a very intimate and inviting um, style of writing, and, and it's great to be able to share that experience. Again, people can relate. I think everybody who reads or hears that poem can relate to either perspective, the son or the father or both, and it's just, it's really, really well done. Thank you for sharing that. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, your poems about um, relationship and with the, the ones with your father as well as the ones with others, it doesn't even matter the degree of relationship. They all have layers of um, tension, reconciliation, appreciation. They're just, they're very human. and They're completely dimensional human, each one of them. And I was wondering if you work at that or is that just part of what happens organically when you're writing poems about people? Um, well, I, I think it's both. Um, I think, as you well know, right, when we're writers or artists, our, our senses are always attuned to what's going on around us. And I think as writers, we have to be very sensitive and careful to listen to language and the language of relationships, for sure. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's something that I'm conscious of. And I, I think artists in general and, and writers especially are sensitive people. So I think that we ponder relationships and think about them a lot. And... Um, I'm glad you actually asked that question because a long time ago this manuscript started out where I had this idea that I wanted to just explore um, kind of gender dynamics and how mm. you know men and women communicate with each other and some of those poems are still in here but then it, you know the book turned into something else which I think is usually what happens but that was my initial idea and I did save some of that but then I think it. Mm -hmm kind of blossomed into other relationships, which probably made it better, I think, in the long run, too. But that was that was my original goal, and then it just turned into something else after that. Well, I think that um, there are specific poems that deal very directly with male-female communication and relationship, but uh, the communication side is explored so fully in all of them. In terms, There's a poem um, that's a neighbor interaction, you know, that's the communication, and that is, is, that's a huge theme in that poem. Um, the, the gap in, in, in experience for those two people and their, their communication attempt, you know, around that is, is great. Then there's also, you know, with the parental poems, with the, you know, it's, it's, it's in all, that's like a real strong theme. Communication is a huge theme in the book. And I don't know, I don't know that, I think it's one of the things that you, um, as you read it, you're kind of carried along through it. You maybe get halfway through it before you realize that that's one of the things you're reading about because you're just really in it. You're listening, you're listening to these conversations and you don't stop to realize that that's part of the message of the story. And it doesn't feel, 
targeted to uh, romantic relationships or one type of relationship. It really speaks to that baseline importance that communication has in all relationships. And it doesn't do it in a, in a preachy way or in a, you know, in a trite way. It just it becomes part of the inherent storytelling process for you. And I think it's one of the hugely successful pieces of that book. Well, thank you. You know, it's interesting you said that because, um, you know, you've seen some of the reviews of the book and, and one just came out yesterday. But everybody only focuses on the working class aspect of it, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's the one thing that they cling to, which is fine because, you know, there there is a large readership for that. Um, but, yeah, I think that poetry collections also operate at a deeper level, um, you know, beyond the initial reaction that we might have. So I appreciate, uh, you know, you, you pointing that out. Thank you. Would you tell us about your award nomination? Oh, yeah. Um, well, this, this has been, it's been an exciting year overall. And then these, these two award nominations just kind of capped everything out, capped everything off. Um, so I, I'm happy that the poem that I just read after School Drives has been nominated for a Pushcart Prize. Um, you know, I'm thrilled about that. And it's funny because um, I never really read that poem allowed, but now after that nomination, I always want to read it aloud, so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of brought that poem to the front more, which which I think is good in a way, um, and then the other the other award I've been nominated for that the whole, the whole book has been nominated for is the Working Class Studies Association's uh, Tilly Olson Creative Writing Award. They're a wonderful organization. They have a conference every year. Um, this summer it'll be at SUNY Stony Brook, so I'm hoping I go there and, and see what they're all about. And I, I feel good about my chances with that with that uh, second award nomination. We'll see what happens with that. Well, you're going to have to report back to us because we can't wait to hear all about that too. Um, tell us where you're where you're going to be at so people can find you, and then we're going to have to just sign off. So. <laughs> okay, absolutely. I will actually be reading at the Doylestown Bookshop tonight. Uh, from 6.30 to 8.30. I'll be reading with Chris Bullard, who's a wonderful poet. There will also be a limited open mic. Um, That's at 16 South Main Street in Doylestown. And then tomorrow night I'll be reading um, near my home in Wooksbury, PA, at the Art Scene Gallery located on Public Square. Then the two other readings I want to mention are on Wednesday, January 8th, from 7 to 9 at the KGB Bar in the Lower East Side in New York City. Really excited about that one. And then the following night, I'll be reading at the Almost Uptown Poetry Reading Series at the Midtown Scholar Bookstore in Harrisburg, PA. So that's what I have. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 